Acts chapter 28. We're going to take the first six verses this morning in Acts chapter 28. And let's bow together in prayer and we'll ask God to teach us His Word this morning. Our Lord and our God, we bow before You with grateful hearts. Grateful hearts for a God who loves us in such a magnificent way. Who empowers us to live life to the full. Who gifts us to be used in your service. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for all that your word does in our lives. That's why it's central to what we do in our service. Lord, we're honoring you by honoring your word which instructs us and corrects us, sets us on the right path, and trains us to be servants of yours. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus that he might go to Calvary's cross where he would bear our sin in his body and make a way to be part of your family, to have eternal life, to pass from death to life by simply putting our trust in Him. Lord, as we study Your Word this morning, especially the topic before us, please give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to follow. I pray in Jesus' name. Well, as you may remember from last week, when we last saw Paul, he and the other passengers and crew on the ship were taking a leisurely stroll around the deck just before they dove into the water. <laughs> we pick up the story uh, in Acts chapter 28, verses 1 to 6. But before we move on to that, I'd like to kind of read a summary of where we're at. Look at chapter 27 and verse 41. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Then we pick up the story in Acts chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us because, and welcomed all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself in his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from the hand, uh, from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Don't you love that? One minute you're a murderer, the next minute you're a god in their world. Well, chapter 27, I hope you'll remember, was all about Paul's leadership. The, we studied that the last couple of weeks. It was all about Paul's leadership. Tw chapter 28 
is all about his servanthood and his servant's heart. That's what I want you to remember this morning. Chapter 27 was about his leadership. Chapter 28, especially the first part of chapter 28, is all about his servant's heart. Paul is a model to us of servant leadership. Paul is a model to us of servant leadership. The kind of leadership that Jesus both taught and more importantly, modeled for us. And that's what we're going to be looking at in these first six verses. Paul's servant leadership and how it's modeled on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, if all goes well, I'm going to induct you into the order of the towel. Anybody here ever been inducted into the order of the towel? It's a thing. (laughs) And we're going to do it this morning. Part of our service. Before we get into the particulars of Acts 28, there are two ironies that strike me as I study these first six verses. The first is what I mentioned just a moment ago. In the space of hours, maybe even minutes, Paul was considered a murderer and a god. Just in the space of maybe a couple of hours. That's the first irony I see as we go through this. The second irony is two uses of the word unusual, uh, at least in the NIV translation. In verse 2 of chapter 28, the islanders were showing, and literally in Greek it says, not the ordinary kindness to us. In other words, they weren't just being kind to Paul and the passengers of that ship, they were being unusually kind. They were reaching out in a very unusual way. The second use of unusual is found in verse 6, where they were watching for Paul to swell up and die. And the text says nothing unusual happened to him. So I guess we could call verses 1 to 6 an unusual section of Scripture. So there's where we are this morning. Chapter 27, all about Paul's leadership. Chapter 28, uh, this first part of chapter 28, is all about Paul's servant heart and Paul's servant leadership. Let's look at the text. Chapter 28 and verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Well, it was winter time, so that's the reason for the cold and the rain. Malta is an island that uh, was an island that was 18 miles long and 8 miles wide. It had, according to scholars, it had, quote, good harbors and was ideally located for trade. It was 60 miles south of Sicily, and if you have maps in your Bible, you should, or on your app, you should always go to the maps and see what we're talking about whenever you study a geographic portion of Scripture. Always study it with maps. And, but that's where, it was 60 miles south of Sicily. They spoke Phoenician there as well as Greek. And the Phoenician word Malta meant a place of refuge or a place of escape. A place of refuge or a place of escape. Uh, It was a place where sailors would often go for a retreat. It was a place that sailors would often go for a retreat. It was settled in part by retired Roman soldiers. 
It was settled in part by retired Roman soldiers. It was under Roman jurisdiction. It had a large measure of autonomy. It had a Roman governor. We'll be talking about him, Publius, next week, starting at verse 7 of chapter 28. As another writer said, it was known for its prosperity and its residential architecture. That's the place. The people are the islanders. Now, islanders uh, uh, is literally the word barbarians. Uh, barbarians. Uh, some of the translations, as the NIV does, says islanders. Other translations say natives. Uh, the idea was they were not savages. They were not savages. Uh, the reason that the word barbarian is used here in Greek is the word barbaroi. And it comes from the fact that to Roman and Greek ears, when they heard foreigners speaking, they heard bar, 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 bar. And so they made up a word to match that that we translate as barbarian, barbaroi. It literally just meant those who were non-Greek people. That's all it meant. It does not mean savages. It does not mean that they were primitive. It does not mean that they were crude. It doesn't mean that they were uneducated people. It just simply means they were not Greek. And their language sounded straight, strange to the, to the Greek and Roman ear. And so they call them barbarians. Just simply, I think the NIV has it right in calling them uh, islanders. The thing about the islanders that's more important than how they got their name uh, is that they were unusually kind. Uh, they reached out in a special way to Paul and to the crew of the ship. Uh, they uh, built a fire. Uh, they welcomed us, uh, Luke says. They welcomed us all because it was raining and cool. They were a kind people, they were a sympathetic people, and they went out of their way to serve Paul and the crew of the ship. They went out of their way to help them, to encourage them, to take care of them, to take care of their needs. In verse 3, we read this. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, uh, a poisonous snake is, the, is meant here, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on Paul's hand. Now, there are a couple of things uh, I want us to see here, a couple of uh, uh, issues that we want to deal with. The first is Paul's uh, servanthood. We get insight here into the character of Paul. We get insight into the character of Paul. He did his part. He did what needed to be done. And most importantly, no task was too menial for Paul. No task was too menial for Paul. Despite the fact that on the ship, before it crashed, before it sunk, Paul was in charge. He became the leader of the ship. But once he is on the ground, once he is in the island, he is serving the others just like they are serving each other as he gathers brush to keep the fire going. 
As one writer said, no task is too small for the servant of God who has the mind of Christ. No task is too small for the servant of God who has the mind of Christ. Warren Wiersbe said, if you had saved 276 people from drowning, would you feel it necessary to do menial labor like picking up sticks? Certainly the grateful passengers would have relieved Paul of the task, but Paul was a servant and he did the job that needed to be done. So no task was too small for Paul. William Barclay said this, Great man though he was, Paul was not ashamed to be useful in the small things. It is only the little man that refuses the little task. What a great statement. It's only the little man that refuses a little task. Paul wasn't ashamed to be useful. He was useful where he was needed. I like... uh, This is one of the common themes of my utmost for his eyes. I think that's the reason that year after year after year after year, you know, every year I get to the middle or end of the year and I say, you know, how uh, how many times have I read my utmost for his highest? You all know what I'm talking about? Many of you do. It's a daily devotional uh, from the teachings of uh, Oswald Chambers and uh, who died in World War I uh, around 1914, 1915, 1617 period of time, serving the troops in Egypt. And uh, he, one of the themes, and, and, and he's got this great devotional that, that many Christians have read for many, many years. And uh, every year, to finish my story, every year, about the middle of the year, toward the end of the year, I think, man, I've done this for 20, 30, or more years, I'm, I'm not going to read Oswald Chambers next year. I can't not read it. <laughs> I can't not read it. Even when I stop, about the middle of January, it's like I'm having withdrawal. <laughs> so I've got to go back. I, I read many other devotional books. As I've told you all, I am addicted to devotional books and devotional writers. But... Uh, Uh, I always come back to Chambers, and one of the reasons is this is one of the themes that he talks about throughout his book. This is one of the themes. Nothing too small for a Christian to do. No service too small for a Christian to render. And he said this in one of his devotionals, the test of a man's religious life and character is not what he does in the exceptional moments of life, but what he does in the ordinary times when there is nothing tremendous or exciting on. The worth of a man is revealed in his attitude toward ordinary things when he is not before the footlights. Oh, I find that rich. I find that rich. It's what you and I do in the ordinary things of life that make us who we are. Most people can rise to the extraordinary. Most people can rise to the crisis. But it's the choices you and I make to do the things we do every day, to think the thoughts we think. Those are the things that make us. And it's the little things. 
It's the little things, not the great things. And Paul was great in the little things. Never, Paul was never more like his Savior than when he was doing a menial task. And I'll explain that in just a moment. There's a story told about D.L. Moody, the founder of the Moody Bible Institute. It goes this way. One rainy day, a man accompanied by two women arrived at Northfield, hoping to enroll his daughter in D.L. Moody's school for young women. The three needed help in getting their luggage from the railway depot to the hotel, so the visitor drafted a rather common-looking man with a horse and wagon, assuming he was a local cabbie. The cabbie, in quotes, said he was waiting for students, but the visitor ordered him to take them to the hotel. The visitor was shocked when the cabbie did not charge him and was even more shocked to discover that the cabbie was D.L. Moody himself. And then the writer telling the story says, Moody was a leader because he knew how to be a servant. Moody was a leader because he knew how to be a servant. I'd like to spend the bulk of our time this morning, we're going to hit a couple other themes, but I'd like to spend uh, the majority of our time this morning talking about servanthood, talking about servant leadership. And I am serious, uh, I would love to induct you into the order of the towel. Uh, and I'll explain that in just a moment. Jesus was the supreme example of servant leadership. Jesus was the supreme example of servant leadership. True leadership. J. Oswald Sanders, writer of Spiritual Leadership, the book, said this, True leadership springs from a desire to serve, not from an ambition to rule. True leadership springs from a desire to serve, not from an ambition to rule. In the Navigators 2-7 course, used to be called Course 1, uh, I'm not sure what they call it today, but it used to be called Course 1 of the Navigators 276 Courses. says this, Serving is one of the greatest challenges in the life of a disciple. Everyone enjoys being served, but few make an effort to serve others. Now, now by the way, a part of me really is, is uh, having a struggle here about this. And I'll tell you why. As I was thinking about this, studying this and looking at at these issues about servanthood, I think we have a serving church. You are servants. I see the way you serve. We see the way you serve. And we, we are serving church. I, these are just reminders. I'm not trying to get anybody to do what they're not already doing. You are already servants, and I want to commend you for that. I want to commend you for what you're doing. So, Count this as a refresher course, okay? Count this as a refresher course. Serving is one of the greatest challenges in the life of a disciple. Everyone enjoys being served, but few make an effort to serve others. People don't mind being called servants, but they don't want to be treated as servants. I always love that statement. 
People don't mind being, go, go, just call us servants all day long, but just don't treat us like a servant. You know, I just love that statement. The mature Christian, the, the uh, Navigators goes, 2.7 goes on, the mature Christian is marked by what he or she will do for others without expecting anything in return. The true servant is marked, the mature Christian, the true servant is marked by what he or she will do for others without expecting anything in return. Well, behind a servant's heart is the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is most clearly seen in a heart of service. The mind of Christ is most clearly seen in a heart of service. You and I are most like Jesus when we serve each other. You and I are most like Jesus when we serve each other. Why do I say that? Uh, turn toward the back of your Bible to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, it's a passage I know every one of you is familiar with. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, your attitude, and if you're familiar with the King James, it's let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's pretty good. NIV says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The first question you should ask when you're reading through that or studying that, okay, is what was his attitude? What was Jesus' attitude? What attitude am I supposed to emulate? What attitude am I supposed to look like that Jesus had? Well, if you read on, you read in verse 5, who being in very nature God, that is, he was God incarnate. He was fully God. Who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, he willingly fathered, followed his father when his father sent him to us. He was God in, fully God, and he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a what? Servant. The very nature, the very heart of Jesus, our Savior, was a servant heart. A servant heart. Therefore, that's why I say the mind of Christ is most clearly seen in a heart of service. We are most like Jesus when we serve. It goes on to say uh, in Philippians chapter 2, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus took the very nature of a servant. The very nature of a servant. Jesus had a lot to say. Uh, we, we learn a lot in the Gospels about servanthood from Jesus in various passages. Uh, turn to the book of Luke. Now you have to go the other direction in your Bible.
to get to the book of Luke and look at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 27. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 24. Also a dispute arose among them. The them in this passage is the disciples. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who what? Serves. Serves. For who is greater, the one who is at table or the one who serves? In other words, who, who's greater? You when you're sitting in the restaurant or the, the waiter or waitress who comes over to serve you? Well, in the human scheme of things, you're the one being served. So you've got to be the greater one. But listen to Jesus. For who is greater, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who what? Serves. I am among you as one who serves. Greatness is equated in this passage and other passages with servanthood. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. Uh, that's Luke 22. Look at Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. I wish we had time to really go over Matthew chapter 20. It's one of my favorite. I think it's one of the funniest uh, in some ways. Uh, stories in Scripture, Matthew chapter 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, this is chapter 20, verse 20, came to Jesus with her sons. And by the way, she was, we think, Jesus' aunt. And that James and John were his cousins. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine, your cousins, Jesus, <laughs> grant that one of these sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? He's talking about the cup of giving himself, sacrificing himself. The cup of pain that he was about to endure. So you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. I love that enthusiasm. We can do it because they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what he's referring to. We can do it. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. You want to suffer? You will suffer but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom <coughs> excuse me they have been prepared by my father when the 10 heard about this they were indignant with the two brothers why because they wanted those positions 
We learn that from passages like Luke 22. We just looked at Matthew 20 and other passages. passages. They wanted those positions. So they were indignant with the brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to be served. Isn't that amazing? Don't you find that amazing? He's the God of the universe. He is the God of the universe. But he didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To be great, then, we must do what? We must become a servant. To be great, we must become a servant. One more real quickly. Mark chapter 10, verse 43. Mark, I just, want to, I just want you to get a flavor for what Jesus tried to get through to these disciples. Mark chapter 10 and verse 43. Jesus called them together. That's the disciples. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great uh, among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Whoever wants to be great must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. One more last passage, and then we'll take a moment to induct you into the order of the towel. John chapter 13. If you would turn to John chapter 13. It's a familiar passage. I know that you know it. It was just before the Passover feast, verse 1 of John 13. Jesus, knowing that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to, his, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Why did he do that? Because the common courtesy of that day was that somebody, when you went into a home, would wash your feet to remove the dust and whatever else may be there, because in that day the roads were pretty bad. had pretty mean things in them. So they'd have a, the, usually the lowest servant in the household would have the job of washing people's feet. Yuck! You know, some churches do, and I'm not criticizing them, I just want you to know that. Some churches do foot washing today, but normally it's done in such a way and you have all these nice clean feet to pour water on. You know what I mean? 
when Jesus girded himself with a towel and began to wash the disciples' feet, they were not cleaned in advance. They were filthy. Was it Jesus' job to do? One of those geniuses should have stepped up and done it, but they didn't. And so Jesus had to. Because that's Jesus' nature. He came as a servant, as a one who serves. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer garment, clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I love the next section. He came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Notice Peter didn't get up and wash anybody else's feet. You notice that? But he said, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter is a quick learn. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Give me a bath. <laughs> Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You're clean. Though not every one of you is talking about Judas. We've been in need to jump ahead. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. He never denied who he was or his power or his majesty or his person. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. See, he didn't set up foot washing as something churches should do for all eternity. He was giving them an example of what he did for them should, should guide them as to what they should do for each other and that is serve each other. Take the lowliest spot. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master and, a mas and nor is a master greater than the one who sent him. Now you will know these things. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus is our example. Now, in my Bible, at John 13, I have carried this little piece of terry cloth for almost 40 years. I received it when I was inducted into the order of the towel. It wasn't a big deal, and it wasn't, it, you know, uh, the order of the towel is an organization without meetings, without bylaws, except the Bible. <laughs> but I was in a, an alumni class at Dallas Seminary, and with us, without we students who were in the class knowing it, it was a summer course, the professor, when we came in one night, said, we're going to induct you into the order of the towel because we want you to remember that you're a servant. 
And every time you look at this, you are reminded. Now, I shared this with the church a couple of years ago in a a Lord's Supper devotional. And uh, I had the intention to soon after that follow it up by order by uh, inducting church members. And by the way, if this just really grosses you out, don't do it. But if you want to remember that you're a servant, we're going to hand out some of these. Anyhow, I was talking about how I'd like to do that. Well, uh, Jana and uh, uh, Angela Avila, they took it upon themselves to cut up hundreds of these, I think 400 of them, so that sometime we could do it, but then COVID hit. And we were afraid to hand anything out in those days. <laughs> you know, nobody understood what, how COVID worked. So these sat in my office for two, over two years. Uh, I think we understand COVID better now. And um, what I'd like to do, it's not, not, this is not formal, but Steve's going to hand these out. Again, if you think it's hokey, don't take one. It's okay. I won't be offended. God may be, but I won't be. (laughs) 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 And if you don't use a paper Bible, this will be a little harder. (laughs) But if you use a paper Bible as I do, tuck it in John 13. And every time you see it, be reminded that you're a servant. Now, I'm not going to get to it today, but I have a whole list of things that we can do to serve that I'm going to share with you next week. This is as far as we'll get today. But I hope that you'll take this, and I hope that... uh, Does anybody not get one that wants one? Right up here. Okay. You're doing a great job, Steve. There's a servant for you. I hope, yeah, I, 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 I will. I hope you will tuck this away someplace where you remember. It's been, I've used three Bibles over the last almost 40 years, and it's been transferred from one Bible to the other. I can't. I don't know if there's anything else in my life as far as an, inanimate objects that I can tell you that I've kept for 40 years. <laughs> Most things I could not remember where they are. But I've kept this because it's important to me. It's important to me to be reminded that I'm not a master. I'm equivalent to the lowest servant in the house. And that Jesus died for me. And that I am his. And I'll serve him. I hope that's true for each of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our our servant.
hearted Savior, thank you for Paul who loved to serve and was a great teacher and a great leader and yet he could do the most menial things. Help us learn that in our lives and help us to learn to serve others. And thank you for all the service I see in these wonderful people at DRBC. I pray these things in Jesus' name.